Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Q&As. Uh, I know I already said this on the weekly roundup, but if you're an iTunes listener, you can get these as well. You just probably have to unsubscribe from me on the iTunes app on your phone, swipe up to close it, don't just switch to a different app, then open it again and research for retro RGB. I don't understand why, to be honest with you. I, I have no clue why any of this stuff broke in the first place, but if you do it that way, it should be fixed, I guess. Uh, so sorry for all the trouble. I've emailed iTunes a bunch of times, and they've mostly blown me off. And I've heard they've done that to fairly big podcasters as well. So I'm not surprised that they kind of blew me off. But whatever, it should be there now, which means you should be able to get these Q&As as an audio-only stream on every single podcast platform on the planet. Uh, and if you have a, a podcast platform that I'm not on yet, let me know, and I will add it manually. So anyway, let's jump in and check out uh, what we got for questions this week. Starting us out, Frey wanted to clarify the question from last week that I was looking at from the wrong perspective. I believe the correct question is, how do you get 480p scaled to 1080p or up looking good without jagged edges? So a lot of TVs, if you just put, it a, 480, uh, put a 480p signal in, it will scale it and it'll look fine, but it'll be uneven scaled. So the jagged edges not only are still there, but they're not even as if they would be with a, a scaler that was designed specifically for that. So there's there's a couple of different answers because you mentioned the PS2, which kind of throws a wrench into the mix. But basically, getting your consoles to HDMI and using an M cable or M Classic might be a good solution for that. And I know I mostly tell people not to use that thing, but it's usually in the context of some random YouTuber said it was the solution to everybody's problems in all of gaming, and you know it's not. It's absolutely not. But this might be a great solution. The only issue is how are you going to get your consoles to HDMI? And that's where it gets complicated, and that's where you might not even want to use the M cable at all. But I'll explain. So first, with the original Xbox, almost every title on that is 480p, so grab any HDMI solution. The Chimeric adapter is excellent, it's plug-and-play, and, play, and uh, I couldn't find any problems with it at all. I really liked it. Whereas those cheap ones you get on Amazon, they don't add lag, so that's a good thing, but they do add interference. They're really poorly made. If you're on a budget and you're saving up for something like the internal digital-to-digital HDMI mod, uh, or if they're not in stock or whatever, you just need a short-term solution, the budget cables are fine. They add interference but not lag, so in my opinion, they don't destroy the gaming experience at all. But basically, get your Xbox to HDMI and go through the M cable. Now, here's where things start to get complicated, and here's where that might not actually be the best total solution for your whole setup. What are you going to do with your PlayStation 2? So those cheap adapters that just digitize the PS2's output, some of them work well, some of them don't, but they just pass through 480i. They don't deinterlace it. And the M Classic M cable doesn't do any deinterlacing. When it uh, when you feed it a 480i signal, it just passes it through. Uh, I, I think. I, I certainly didn't find any, uh, any good use for 480i through it. So then you're going to have to deinterlace that. And you could use something like the RetroTank Mini or a Rad 2X, but then you wouldn't get access to the PlayStation 2's 480p titles. So that leaves you the RetroTank 2XM, the OSSE, the GBS Control, and the RetroTank 5X. And the first two solutions are great, except you only get Bob D interlacing, which is that kind of shaky up and down signal. The GBS Control is great, but then you would also have to go into that, out of the VGA output, 
into a VGA to HDMI converter into an M Classic if you wanted that solution. So that's something to consider, but that's a lot of stuff plugging into other stuff. Uh, but that would the GBS control would work for Xbox and PlayStation 2. The RetroTank 5X might might be the best solution overall because you just don't have to worry about anything. You connect everything through component video, get yourself a decent component video switch, put it to the component inputs of the RetroTank 5X. You could utilize the motion adaptive deinterlacing, so it's not shaky at all. Same with the GBS control. But with the RetroTank 5X, you also have the different scaling options of Sharp or uh, 2.5X. And you're still going to get uneven jagged edges, but it's going to look different than if your TV did it. So if you're going to go the RetroTank 5X solution, I would say do that, get good component cables for both of your consoles, and then try it and just see. Try the different output modes, try some settings, and if there's still too many jagged edges for you, then try feeding that through an M Classic but then you're going to have to mess with the output resolutions of the retro tank. Does it look good in 1080p? Should you set it to 480 or 720? You're really just going to have to play with that and see what looks best overall. Um, on the flip side, same thing with the, the GBS control, but then once again, you'd have to digitize it. So that would work. So if you're somebody that's um, that overall is going to be... Uh, doesn't mind modding, you know, you would consider doing the Xbox HDMI mod, you would build a GBS control, you don't mind doing all that stuff. You could save a lot of money by going by the GBS control route. Um, or, of course, you could wait for the next scalers, the OSSC Pro and the Morph, and see what they can do to this stuff, because maybe there's uh, some kind of filtering or smoothing going to be built into those. But if this is something you need now, it's always my opinion that unless there's a release date, like a week before the RetroTank 5X came out, I was telling people just wait a week, you know, but there is no release date for either of those products. So if you need something now, I would never wait on something that could be delayed a year because of part shortages. I'm, I'm making that up. I'm speculating. I don't know if there's a delay in any of those projects. I'm just using it as an example. So it's a much more complicated question than I think you anticipated, which is cool. I don't mind answering it. I just, um, it's not nearly as easy as saying just use this device. But if you just wanted the quickest answer that would take care of all of your consoles, get HD Retrovision cables for the PS2, get either Monster, Official, or uh, uh, cables for the Xbox, or get HD Retrovision Wii cables and get that adapter. I'll leave links to all of this stuff. Go to a RetroTINK 5X and go to an M cable, and you should probably be able to figure all of that stuff out right now without waiting for any products to come on the market. Hopefully I made things, hopefully I pointed you in the right direction instead of making things more confusing, but we'll see. Next, over on Patreon, Hector Santana was teasing me because I've been copying and pasting the description each week, and I must have copied the one from December because I said post your questions from next year here. <laughs> so yeah, uh, totally caught me out. I tried to streamline as much as possible because even a short video takes absolutely hours to get all processed and uh, even after you upload it, you have to set all the descriptions, the tags. I mean, it's pretty much however long you think making a video takes, triple it at least. And there's a lot of, I don't want to say busy work, but kind of busy work-esque stuff. So yeah, I will pay attention to that and try to make sure my copy and paste for each week is updated. So uh, good catch. Thanks for letting me know. And hopefully at least you had a laugh at it. Alan Bingham wanted to know my thoughts on buying simple, inexpensive USB hubs to use with the Nintendo Switch. So I'm not an expert in this stuff, but I do have a perspective based on experience on the manufacturing of these devices. 
you could always stumble across a giant turd that has a terrible power component to it, a bad PSU, and it's sending dirty voltage. However, USB hubs are made in such large quantities, getting one that's just okay should still be a decent enough solution. So, you know, if you really want to be OCD about it, you can get a Nintendo branded one or one of the bigger name branded ones. But for something like a USB hub, I think you should be okay just picking one up, just picking anyone up, especially if it says, you know, confirmed use with the Switch and you should be okay. But I would, as general advice, just kind of look at where you're purchasing it. Is it a random eBay link for $1.99 or same thing, a random AliExpress link for $2? Or is it at the very least on, you know, I know Amazon sells a lot of junk, but, you know, is it an Amazon with, uh, you know, an approved seller that sells decent stuff? Then you should be safe. Um, You know, it's just one of these gambles that you always have to take because even if you buy something, you open it up, you do a circuit analysis and you find that the power is fine and you found that the power adapter that they send with it's totally fine as well. And how do you know a year from now when you buy another one, there wasn't a part shortage and then they just swapped a bunch of parts out for junk ones. So when it comes to stuff that's made in such high quantities like USB hubs, I try not to obsess as much, uh, but you know, it's certainly something to think about. So I guess I would just try to buy a known brand, something that says it's good uh, and works with the Switch. Read the reviews. Obviously, ignore all the uh, the five stars because some of them could be bots, but read the complaints. And sometimes the complaints uh, are really what drive me to buy it. Like, you know, uh, people complain about things where it's their fault and not the, the device that you're talking about. And it's like, okay, that person obviously used it wrong. That's probably going to be a good device. So I'd pay attention to some of those. But overall, I mean, you should be okay, but I do understand the concern. Door-to-door geek Stephen McLaughlin wanted to chime in again on the affiliate link stuff. They said if two cookies get set, the newest cookie always wins, which is why they don't like when people make it clear a link is an affiliate link. Many people on YouTube and many blog posts seem to not feel like they have to disclose that fact, which is why they open up most links in a browser like Firefox Focus on their phone. Um, So I'm pretty sure that the rules are still kind of gray on that. I I think you're always supposed to post if it's an affiliate link, but if you have a disclaimer like all links are affiliate links or something like that, or all links may be affiliate links, then that's probably not necessary. Um, I have a big problem with that because I don't really remember which of my links are affiliate links or not unless I'm creating them in real time. And some stuff has auto forwarding built in, which I guess they're changing the rules on that as well. But I could certainly say that from my perspective, uh, my intent has never been nefarious. It's always just been telling everybody that I always use affiliate links when available. Not all links are, but if they're available, I'll use it when I remember. Sometimes I just forget. Um, But the rules are definitely changing. So I think there might come a day where every single individual link in a YouTube description has got to say affiliate link, non-affiliate link, or maybe hopefully they'll have some kind of shortened code you could use like AL or NAL or something like that for, you know, non-affiliate link or something. But yeah, that's, that's always interesting. And you know, I understand the reasons behind it, but oftentimes it just adds so much work and clutter to something that should be a lot more streamlined. So I certainly have mixed feelings on it. I also do understand that there's a lot of people out there who make it a living to just post stuff that they say they love with an affiliate link, 
without you know without really saying that they're actually paid by the company to say that and here's an affiliate link so they could double down and get extra money from that as well which i also have never done at least not intentionally i've never been paid to do an ad or a review and i certainly do retweet things that i think are cool and if there's an affiliate link available i use it but i'm pretty sure on twitter i'm pretty sure the stance that i've taken is whenever i do something like that like hey here's this cool thing i just bought you know i'm not sponsored by the company but this is an affiliate link you know see if you like it i think i'm pretty open about that each time but i would like to make sure i get it perfectly right across the website and the youtube ads and stuff but it's it's a lot of work and you know I just don't really know the smoothest way to do it. So if anybody has any thoughts or if you, Stephen, have some more thoughts on that, I'll definitely listen. But there's also got to be a thing where if there's a website with 5,000 pages on it, do I actually have to go through 5,000 pages and, and retroactively add tags to every single page? Or could I just say in a footer on the website, all links are most likely affiliate links or something. I don't really know where all of this stuff stands, but I'm trying my best. And I think that's what most people, most reasonable people could ask for. So thank you for the thoughts on that, but hopefully I can get it right. A couple of questions from Rick Lewis. First, they're curious if I could give an update on my recent Framemeister purchase. They absolutely love theirs and it'll be their scaler till it dies. So they're just wondering what my thoughts on finally owning one is. I think it looks great in the white box shots in my videos. And that's all I've used it for. Um, there might be a time where I, I power it up, you know, add the latest firmware, add some Firebrand X profiles and do some testing. But I bought that thing only for exam- for visual examples in videos. And I think in the cable video, that was the perfect example because I demonstrated how a couple of cable manufacturers put sync strippers in their Framemeister cable to compensate for junky bad cables that other people might have found online. And I think visualizing that was better than just explaining it by far because people could physically see it and go, oh, okay. Um, But I did remove the sync stripper from that device and solder it up. And I do need to test it at some point, but it's really just been sitting in my box of scalers next to me, uh, just ready to look pretty on screen. So I don't mean any disrespect to you or any other Framemeister owners, but I bought that for visual examples not to use. So we'll see. Um, Next on a consumer TV would there be any noticeable difference using cheap versus more expensive composite cables? Um, so one thing I didn't touch upon in the video is audio. And I really should have, but the video would have then gotten a lot longer. And there's very often not a good solution for this. So I don't know of any reputable reseller of new composite ca- cables for these different consoles. Maybe there's a bunch and I just haven't tested them. Heck, maybe the cheap ones from from the bigger named companies, like maybe the Hyperkin one is actually shielded and not just a bunch of foam. I have no idea. You'd have to really buy them, cut them open, and then test them to really see. But there is a difference in audio in that if the cables are not shielded at all, you're going to get a buzz and a hum, especially when there's an all-white screen. Whereas if they're fully shielded, the audio should sound as good as it can from an analog output. The video itself, I'm not sure how much of a difference you'd be able to see, though. Um, Because composite, all of the interference from composite is is in that signal that's generated from the chip. Anytime you have a shielded cable, though, you could prevent outside interference. So it's possible that if you ran it in a place that had some interference, using an unshielded composite cable would add some more, you know, some more artifacts on screen than using a shielded one. But really, it's just... Uh, it's kind of just an audio side of things. 
if anybody has any other thoughts on this, please correct me if I'm wrong. But my general opinion on composite cables is I would love to be able to buy fully shielded ones, but the bonus would really be audio and preventing interference, not anything else. But if I'm wrong, I'd love to know. I'm wrong all the time, and uh, I always like to correct myself. And lastly, they assume I didn't add it because this is one of the, uh, isn't one of the produced videos, but have you ever thought about adding your theme music intro to these videos? Um, I could if people wanted me to, but I always approached these Q&As as raw and stripped, if you will. Like, I, the, I always do these in real time. Um, it's always my honest opinions, which has gotten me in trouble a lot, pretty much once a month. There's, you know, people hate me for something I say on these, but it's real. It's the conversation you would have with me if you ran into me at a bar or a coffee shop and, and asked me the question. This is exactly the answer you would get, although I tend to use profanity a lot in person, especially now that I try to tone it down for these videos. So if you meet me in person, imagine Joe Pesci talking and saying the same things I would, dropping the F-bomb every other word, uh, or worse or something. But um but yeah, that's that's pretty much how I approach these. So adding a produced intro and outing an outro to it, you know, while while it's cool, if somebody if if people think it seems more professional that way, I'll absolutely do it. I just I want to both say and make people feel like this is just a conversation with me as if we were hanging out talking. And I don't know if adding a a produced intro and outro would take away from that or if I'm just being crazy and it doesn't matter at all and people like to hear the theme music. Either way, if anybody has thoughts on that, please let me know. Um, and uh, thank you very much for liking the intro. I wrote that a couple of years ago, and I think that's one of my favorite things I've ever written. And it came out like all in one shot. My friend sent me a song that was four chords and a chorus, and that was it. And as soon as I heard the song, which was all just chords, I heard the in my head. And it's never happened to me before in my life. It was a, maybe it's happened since then, but that was the first time and the only time where I basically just heard four, song, four chords and wrote a song through it. So uh, it always makes me happy when people say they like it. So thank you very much. Adam Lee wants to know if there's much value in power supply mods. They have a Pico PSU mod in their Dreamcast, but they wonder whether it's worth considering for other consoles. So I'm happy to share my thoughts on that, but I need to preface it with a warning that I am jaded and biased against all power supply mods because of all of the times that I've had something go catastrophically wrong outside of the retro gaming world. There's been some incidents with retro gaming, but it was mostly in my last company where we designed and manufactured medical grade computers. And I just saw what how, or I saw how easily one little mistake or changing one component that's supposedly the same specs could make a big difference. Um, and even if you buy something and test it and it seems fine, the next run of manufacturing might not match. So I'm definitely biased. Uh, so you might want to just take this with a grain of salt. But my opinion on all of this stuff is if there is a specific reason to do it, uh, then you should really consider it. And one of them that I run into all the time is I have friends that either live in different regions than the, uh, the console they want to purchase or move around all the time. So they want to put, they want to remove their internal power supply on something like a Dreamcast, Saturn, or PlayStation where it's just an AC power supply. And they want to add something like the Pico PSU so they could use an external AC to DC adapter, and then they'll just pick up an international version of those and they never have to worry about it. So that is the number one reason I would suggest for using it. If your power supply dies, I would suggest recapping that and cleaning it up before using a replacement just 
because you know if you go to some place like console5.com and you pick up a cap kit, it's going to be high quality capacitors. You could do the mod yourself or you know have a friend do it. Usually recapping power supplies isn't that big of a deal. Some are harder than others, but then you end up with something that's lasted this long and now you just replace the components that are probably the only components that are going to die in it for a while and you're good to go. So that's generally what I would recommend there. The only other things, people talk about heat, but respectfully, I don't think most people understand what that means. Uh, I don't even understand what that means. And I spent like six months of my life doing a thermal design for one of those computers. Uh, and, you know, it's just one of those things where every time you think you got it down, you don't. And the short version of that is just because something's hot doesn't mean it's bad. Theoretically, if something's cooler, it would last longer. But you might be talking things like, you know, it'll last 50 years instead of 47 or something like that. You know, it's not, it's not like running a console with its stock power supply is going to, going to make it only last another two years and upgrading to another one will make it last 20 more years. It's, I don't really think it's like that. I could be wrong or there could be model revisions, especially with crazy consoles like the Saturn where there's so many different revisions. It is possible that you could, you know, quote unquote, upgrade your console with one of these, but I think in the majority of cases, it's totally fine just as is. Um, but there could be a potential for that. The only problem is you need to make sure that you have a really good power supply replacement that's in there. Um, and a lot of the ones that are out there are not. They're cheap. And even one of the good ones just got cloned by that notorious clone company that sometimes people accuse me of like starting a, you know, trying to take them down or something kind of am because they make their living by stealing from other people's designs and making low quality versions. And that's exactly what happened here. There's one power supply out now for the PlayStation that's cheap and it looks like it's the good design, but they use the wrong revision. They use terrible quality components. Uh, and I mean, I don't think it'll kill your PlayStation, but it's not good for it. It certainly won't be nearly as good as using the right one or the other one. So the other one meaning, I'm sorry, the right one or the original one that's been recapped. So, you know, I know this is probably a longer answer than you wanted, but I just want to make sure to explain myself because if I just said, I don't trust power supply mods, I'm going to get a hundred emails from people saying, you know, I sell a really good quality one. And I was offended that you said, like, I just, I got to be honest. I'd rather have people pissed at me than, than lie to be polite, but I want to make sure I'm clear in that there are good power supply replacements out there, but you got to spend the time figuring out which one is. And sometimes you don't know and you got to guess. And that drives me crazy. So is there much value in PSU mods? Five rambly minutes later, if you want to do something that's multi-region, yes. And if not, I would think no in most cases. Just recap your original PSU and stick with that one. Kevin K wants to know if they have all their retro consoles HDMI modded, is there any benefit in adding a RetroTank 5X to their setup? They have a new Sony OLED. Um, my opinion is no. I, I think all HDMI modded consoles could output at least 480p, so at least progressive scan. So, and even if it's not the best signal to send to your TV, it's not a bad signal at all. So you could do something like use a, an HDMI to component converter, put it through the retro tank and let that scale it for things like the GameCube. But unlike what I was saying before about which scaler to buy, waiting for a solution like the OSSC Pro or the Morph that has an HDMI input is fine in this case, at least in my opinion, because you're not starting out with something bad. You're starting out with something very good 
and eventually going to something better. So you don't have to worry about lag or deinterlacing or anything with any of these HDMI modded consoles. So I would just kind of wait for a solution that's designed to do a digital-to-digital HDMI upscale for game consoles, and that would probably be the best bet. No disrespect to Mike, I think he would probably say the exact same thing. The RetroTINK 5X is amazing, and there are some scenarios where you could benefit from that, but if you have a bunch of consoles HDMI modded, your Wii, your GameCube, your Xbox, your N64, whatever, I I do really think it'll probably be better just to wait. Uh, Also, what would be the best way to add quality scan lines to consoles like the Xbox 360 or the Switch? So... That would be the only scenario in which the RetroTINK 5X would be a good solution. You would want to set those consoles to 480p. Uh, For the 360, you want to use component video cables. For the Switch, you would need to use an HDMI to component adapter, like I showed in the RetroTINK video. Uh, Run the 480p in, and then add scan lines with the RetroTINK and scale that to 1080p or something. The scaling... um, on the 360, it, you, you should pretty much have about the same look to the image, but with with scan lines on it. With the Switch for its retro games, same. It should look fine. It should look just as good as if you were running it in native 1080p. But if you wanted to take like a modern Switch game and add scan lines to it, you would lose a lot of detail rendering it in 480p. But if you're just talking about things like playing the new virtual console games, that would work. Uh, so... In, you know, from that perspective, if you wanted to encompass all of this, yeah, buying a RetroTINK 5X might actually be a good solution because you would want to run all of your consoles through an HDMI switch, and then you could have that go from HDMI to component and then run that through your through your RetroTINK 5X. So that would really be the only scenario it, it, that I would suggest using it is if you wanted all of this stuff. But once again, uh, if you wanted to wait, I haven't used either yet. I haven't even seen a morph. I don't know if there's even a prototype, but I'm pretty sure they're going to have scanline options because why, why wouldn't they these days? So maybe it's worth waiting, maybe not. But uh, I would, if you're just talking about running HDMI modded consoles through a scaler, I would wait for that one. Yepo was able to pick up a French NES that outputs RGB over SCART, which is actually composite video converted to RGB to fit in with the French standards of the 80s that says everything has to output RGB. And that means that they could connect the original cable to the OSSC and it just works fine. Um, They have two questions about that. First, they said I wrote on RetroRGB that the picture on these is worse than composite. Uh, I think I said can be worse. If I didn't, I will go back and change that. But it can be worse than direct composite. And the reason is sometimes the conversion changes things. So uh, my buddy Chris did a whole write-up on this. I think it's posted on RetroRGB. But basically, sometimes having the conversion of composite to RGB right at that main signal does clean it up a bit because you're not traveling composite video down a long cable. So there are some scenarios where you might get a little less interference. And that could be the answer to the previous question of what what are the differences between a good shielded composite cable and not. It could be about the same thing because that's essentially what you would be changing here. But there are times where the conversion does seem to mess things up. And you mentioned that on your projector, you have some issue with colors like the title card of Super Mario Brothers seems to bleed into the letters of the title. That's something that you might run into with all composite video, or that's something that you might run into as a result of this conversion. So my my honest opinion is that if you have a cool console, like a French NES that outputs the fake RGB, 
and you could make it look okay. You said your current workaround is to add scan lines. If it's working and you're cool with it and you're running it through something like the OSSC, which is no lag, I would leave well enough alone. I don't ever think there's a need to chase sharpness. I just think there's a need to eliminate unnecessary lag. So if your TV has two frames, whatever. But if you're using a scaler that adds seven, you should throw that out and get something else. Uh, And you don't. You're using the OSSE. So that's a perfectly good solution. So my opinion is enjoy it. See how you feel. And if the non-sharpness of it starts to drive you nuts, you could look into other solutions. But I have a feeling you'd probably find that to be good enough. Monty wants to know if it's safe to turn on your full setup with one power strip button or if you should turn everything on individually. And it's always been my choice to to do both. So when I'm done using something, I power everything off individually, the CRT, the console. Then I hit the power strip so there's no power going to any of the devices at all. So no phantom power draw or anything like that. And depending on your setup and where you're located, you might even want to yank the power from the wall when you're not using it. That's kind of extreme, but I could imagine a few scenarios where that might help, especially if you live in an area around lots of lightning or something. But that's kind of my thought on it. Um, I have seen people set up a room with their arcade machines, so they flip a switch and all their arcade machines turn on at the same time. But I kind of feel like those were sort of designed for that, where consoles weren't. Uh, And I have heard people recommend that you should never do something like turn your power on for your console, then plug it into the wall because you get uh, a different kind of inrush current. And the people that told me that were people whose advice I would definitely trust. I just can't remember exactly what the reasonings were. So I would suggest powering on everything individually. And of course, the other reason is because if you have 10 different things, but you're really only using two or three, it's good for the whole power draw thing to just not waste the power, not put too much of a strain on whatever your power conditioners are and just use what you need. And your other question is, can I share some wisdom on power conditioners? I would just use the ones that I link in the Amazon store. There's a good sine wave UPS in there that's reasonably priced. I don't think most people need UPSs though. I think you should have them on your home router and you know uh, your Wi-Fi and your, your modem and maybe even on your PC, but Generally speaking, I don't think most people would need a UPS. Uh, That's a battery-backed-up, uninterruptible power supply. But I do think having basic power conditioner on the end of a setup like you were talking about is a help. And that's definitely what I do. Uh, So I would have everything running through that, and then I would either unplug that or hit the power switch on it when I'm done. But those, you have to to look at the, the full amount of power that it could support and make sure that everything you're plugging into it isn't over that. Now, just to be clear, you could have a million things plugged into it, and if only two are powered on at the same time, that'll be fine. You need to look at your total power draw when the you know the most amount of stuff is powered on at once. So I'll leave links to that stuff, but you know, as I've already said in this episode, be careful when it comes to power because you just you don't want to hurt something that uh, that you never really needed to. So you know, I, I just I think erring on the side of caution is always good when it comes to the, any kind of power related stuff. Gigi Gorgeous said they have an unmodded N64 that they'd like to get the best image quality out of. Since they're keeping it stock, that pretty much narrows their options down to cable selection. From their understanding, S video is as good as they can get from an unmodded N64. So, in my opinion, what's the best cable option? So. The best image quality is something that you need to define personally. And I'm not trying to cop out of the answer. I'll explain it in a second. But 
it really depends on are you going for the sharpest solution? Are you going for the a nice smooth solution that makes the N64's graphics look a little less blocky? Um, or do you want it right now? Or are you looking for a permanent solution for the future? There's a lot of bests. So right now, if you just wanted an excellent quality solution for the N64, you could pick up a RetroTank Mini. It comes with, or I think there, you could add on an S-Video cable for it. That's not the world's best S-Video cable, but it's totally fine. So, uh, you know, under 100 bucks, you get a really good solution. It's sharp enough at 480p. You could add that really great smoothing filter, and that's a perfectly good solution for right now. Uh, the Rad 2Xs are out of stock, and those would be composite video in your solution, but uh, or in your situation, you know, plug and play, no mod. But if you're using the smoothing filter, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you're going to lose some sharpness, but it's still going to look pretty good on the N64. Not on all consoles, but definitely with the N64. But if you're ch- uh, really chasing the sharpest output and you don't like any of those smoothing options, then yeah, it would probably be worthwhile to get either the Insurrection Industries cable or one of those super coax cables like the Retro Access ones and run it through a RetroTank 5X. Uh, and you'd get a really great picture for the N64 out of that. And then if you wanted smoothing options, I guess you could look into like an M cable or something. And then, of course, in the future, what other scalers are coming? Are the future scalers going to have S-Video inputs with smoothing options? So you get the combination of sharp and smooth. So... You're really going to have to decide for yourself, but the overall advice I would give, grabbing a RetroTINK Mini is never going to be a bad thing, and also grabbing a RetroTINK 5X if you have a lot of other consoles and can use its other features with a really good S-Video cable could be another really great solution. So I would kind of consider all of those and maybe check out my videos on all of this stuff and see where where you really want to go uh, and what other consoles you want to integrate into this. But it should be an easy enough decision as long as you just ask yourself the questions I just brought up. Daniel Adato said they're currently using the Game Boy interface software to play Game Boy games on a GameCube, and they're outputting it via a prism, so they're going HDMI from the prism to their OLED. And they're still not happy with the video quality. Something seems like it could be sharper. Would a Game Boy Advance consoleizer be a worthwhile investment, or are they just being crazy and unrealistic, and this is what happens when you blow up a handheld game to the big screen? So that's a really good question, and what I think, it's just speculating, obviously, because I am not seeing this in person, but what I think you're seeing is the soft scale of 480p to 4K when stuff like Game Boy Interface would benefit from a sharp scale to retain the the original look. So basically, overall... The Prism's going to out all Game Boy or all GameCube plug and play solutions at the moment are outputting 480p. And in my opinion, when you have a good TV with a decent scaler in it, the smooth scale of 3D graphics on 480p to 4K comes out pretty good. However, the 2D graphics, the stuff that you're always used to seeing sharp, especially handheld stuff, could really benefit from a sharp scale. And I think handhelds stand out more because you might have been used to, you know, a, an RF connection on a blurry TV playing your old retro stuff growing up, but your handhelds always looked sharp. You know, not very well lit and everything in the case of the Game Boy, but when you're looking down, you're seeing all of the sharp pixels. There was no smoothness growing up with those. So your eyes are used to seeing them sharp. Um, now, you could do something like take the output of the prism, the HDMI output, convert that to component video, 
and then run that through a RetroTINK 5X or I guess even a uh, an OSSC and line double that to 960p on the OSSC or use a ton of different options on the uh, on the RetroTINK 5X, including 1440p, which will get you a very sharp output. So that's certainly an option to sharpen it up. A Game Boy Advance consoleizer might make a difference. It really depends on how your TV processes 720p versus 480i. Um, if you already have a Game Boy interface set up and you already have all of this other stuff, I guess I would ask yourself, would you use the RetroTINK 5X or OSSE for something else? Or would you only be using it for this? And if you're only using it for this, maybe upgrading to the GBA consoleizer would be a decent solution. But if you would use it for other stuff, then I would say pick up one of those when they're available um, and then just get one of the cheap HDMI to component converters. I'll drop a link to my Amazon storage so you know whichever ones to get. Uh, I believe there's two in there now. They're both the same, so get whichever's in stock. And I think that would be worth doing. Now, once again, you have to just kind of sit back and say, is it worth all of this money to get a sharper image? For some people, the answer is no. For many other people, the answer is yes. That's totally up to you. But I think both of those are going to be decent solutions. And of course, you know, if you wanted to, you could always, like I was saying before, wait for any of the newer scalers to come out. But I have a feeling they're going to be more expensive. Uh, and I have no idea when they're going to be released. So if it's a problem you want to solve right now, uh, Game Boy Advance Consoleizer or the RetroTINK 5X when it comes back in stock, hopefully soon, should take care of you for that. Well, that's it for this time. If you're new to these Q&As, please ask any question you have wherever it is that you support in the newest Q&A post. The way the services work, I can't really go back and figure out what's a new question on an existing post. Uh, and I also just have fun scrolling through and answering these in real time, like I was talking about before. So any question you got, just go to the newest Q&A support post, wherever it is that you support, and ask it there. And if I ever miss your question, it's usually just a mistake. I, I don't think I've ever intentionally you know, dropped a question out. It's usually that I answer it and then accidentally delete it in post or something. So, uh, you know, if I miss a question, please re-ask. But anyway, as always, thank you all so much for any support at all, because all of you is what are, or who are keeping the website, the podcasts, the behind the scenes research and everything going. So thank you all very much. And I'll see you next week.